Let's go, Kraken, let's go. Right? Got a few hockey fans in here. Listen, I'm not going to wear the hat the whole time because I know that breaks some kind of weird Southern Baptist etiquette someplace, but I'm bringing it out here because we need some good mojo. Tonight's game seven. I want to get the mo of Joe going, so I'm bringing it out here with me today, hoping that all of you just can be praying for my Kraken, all right? So anyway, looking forward to that. Game seven is going to be a good time, but more important than that, man, this week was cool. Down at the hub, the hub is no more. Very excited about the destruction of something. I don't know what it is. But it was cool to be down there this week. There was this giant, like, mech-chomping T-Rex machine. And then there was this giant claw. And then all the kids were coming from the community to watch it. And it reminded me of Toy Story. The claw chooses who will stay and who will go. And uh, apparently it was all of our offices, but what stays is a big flat surface right now. So we're very excited about everything that's happening at the Hub. Uh, the rumor in town was that it's going to be at McDonald's. Um, I was hearing that all over. Is it going to be a McDonald's? I'm like, no, it's going to be a Trader Joe's. So, uh, you know, like, see what happens. There's a giant banner on the thing right there. But yeah, whatever. Just tell them whatever they want to hear. So uh, anyway, but we're looking forward to that. But the other thing that we've been talking about here for a while is uh, there is this current campaign. It's like this big push right now to raise $440,000 between now and June 25th. And people are like, man, how's that going to happen? How's it going to come about? And I'm like, the same way all of it has come about. Uh, God laying it on our heart to do this thing. And so in the app, there is a tile you can follow along and everything else. But we're trying to raise 440. What I want to let you know today is so far we have raised 266,000. 60%. No, you should clap for that. 60% of the way there, and we barely just announced this thing, right? Now, here's the thing. I'm hoping we blow past this number because I guarantee you we will need to blow past this number. If you've ever done a project, you know you get change orders and things happen and everything else, and so it just is what it is, and, and, and yet God has just opened door after door after door. We keep walking through, and that's the same thing now. So it's underway, very exciting. Again, kind of the target date they're saying is December uh, when we will be able to move in. I'm thinking more the first of next year will be realistic, but exciting stuff all the way around. The other thing I want to remind you of is that we have an app, and in the app, there's notes. You can follow along today. We, we're covering a lot of ground as we look at the section in John, uh, because he gets into something that's really important for the third time. That's going to be great. So you can follow along that way. And then the other thing I want you to know is, yes, it's warm in here. And by that, I figured we all have been complaining. It's not warm enough. It's too rainy. It's too cold. The warmth came. Now it's in here. We should love it to be warm in here. All right, we're just carrying that forward. But those doors are going to be open just to kind of get some cool air in here. That's the only way we can do it this morning. So we're trying to deal with it. But hopefully, my soothing voice will put you all to sleep with the warmth, and we'll all be good. So uh, anyway, I'm going to go ahead and pray, get us ready for today, and we're going to just jump right into stuff. So let's go ahead and do it together. Jesus, I thank you so much for the grace you show us, and I thank you for the challenge that you put before us that we're going to be looking at today. And you know my heart on this. I, I've so landed that, that this subject is the subject for our age as Christians, that this is the thing that we must get right. I feel like it's the thing that sometimes we don't lean into enough. Uh, we're, we're timid to do it. We, we worry, or are we being too soft, too gracious, too easy on things if we do it? But I know that this is what you call us to. This is what you come to deposit in us and through us. And so I pray that we... Um, absorb it. You know, we, we take it on. We make it a personal challenge for our lives. 
And so, Jesus, we certainly look to you to be our guide and uh, our grace today and the inspiration for why we do what we do in your name. And so, Jesus, we love you and thank you in your good name. Amen. All right, I want to start with a simple idea today. It is kind of this statement, and the statement is, God is blank. God is blank. Now, where you're sitting right now, where you're at, I want you to think through what is the word that you would choose to deposit where that blank line is. See, some are going to look at that and say, well, God is holy, or God is just. God is faithful, or God is good. People that are critics of faith or critics of God may say, well, God is actually distant. God says he's holy, holy, holy three times, right? And Johnny only says he's loved once, so holy is the chief attribute of God. The reason I would disagree with this for just a hot minute, all right, is the fact that we've talked about holiness, that the word means uncommon or set apart. But it doesn't have a reference unless you care what is hard against. But it other than and so for as long as human mind can remember the very detail God's God's man, those God were precious man as slaves of God. There's no love from God to give them crops and then take your babies. I mean, they're terrible, but I am love. That is my essence of my being. So when we talk about holiness, we're talking about genuinely God's love. So this is what John wants to drive home to us today as we go into this third major excursion on the subject of love. He's done it in chapter 2, chapter 3, now he's doing it again in chapter 4. How we love and why we love one another. Because, man, John is loony for love, man. He is. I I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he goes, yeah, back in the day, I memorized 1 John, and the worst part of it was love comes up so many times I couldn't memorize it well. In this essence, cares for us. He sends his son into this broken, hurting, flawed, life-draining world and says, in that stead, I'm going to reconnect you to life fully alive again. See, I, I dig it because if you go back and you think about Eden for just a minute, Eden was all about life, man. It was. God creates this garden, breathes into the man the what? The breath of life, puts him in a garden that has at the center the tree of life, and then says, I want you to expand these borders. I want you to be fruitful, multiply, go out and expand life. And then when they fall and they fail and they sin, what do they instantly face? Decay and death, the opposite of life. So, so God is hot to the topic of us having life. And not just life one day, in the future, in heaven, in the new heaven and earth, whatever it is. No, every day, today, he wants us to experience life. Life is better with Jesus, even when life is hard, painful, confusing, right? It's still better with him. That's his point. And so, God loves us so much, he wants to renew in us what was, right? We have to get there through the vein of love, right? So this is why the greatest commandment is what it is. What's the greatest commandment? He's trying to get us back on the rails. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That comes from Deuteronomy 6. And then you must love your neighbor as yourself. So loving others and even loving yourself is connected from Leviticus 19. No other commandment is greater than these two. See, I love Mark 12 because it's clear, it's concise, it's succinct, and that's hard. The greatest command is not for the faint of heart. It's tough. It's the greatest for a reason, right? But Jesus came to make love possible again. But to make this love possible, what's he have to defeat? What kills love? He has to defeat sin. 
If he doesn't feed sin, we can't get back to love because sin is the toxin to love. But this is what he came to do. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son and a body like our bodies, just like we sinners have. And in that body, he declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law, and what is the most just requirement of the law? The greatest command, love God, love others. He did this so the just requirement of the law would be fulfilled or satisfied for us who no longer follow our own sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So Jesus steps in and in love gets us over the hump. He says, I'm going to do this thing in you so you can get back to doing what you're meant to do. Get back to the great command. Get back to Eden's design. Which then if we fast forward to Romans 13, what's Paul say? He says, oh, nothing to anyone except your obligation to what? Love one another, right? He says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirement of God's law. This is why I keep saying law is there for the sake of coaching us to love, which is why he says, hey, man, this is why the law says don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't murder. All of that is kind of getting to the deeper thing of this. These commandments, they sum up the one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. We are so loved by God. Not just so we can be like, yes, bring me the love. We're so loved by God, so we can love on behalf of God. That's the circuit. That's the whole spirit of this thing. That's the formula right there. That's God's agenda for God's kids. In fact, listen to John's next words in light of what he's just said. He says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression through us. All right, now I'm going to give you a pop quiz, and you don't have to say this out loud, but I want you to think it. Here's the question. What is the fullest, the fullest expression of God in your mind? You might say, Jesus. That's a good, safe Sunday school answer. Get you out of trouble every time in third grade Sunday school. But that's not quite the answer here. And you go, okay, well, it's Jesus going to the cross. So the cross is the fullest expression. And I go, man, that's a good answer. That's solid. But that's not quite the answer of the fullest expression. You go, oh, it's Jesus going to the cross, and then from that forgiving me a sinner. That's the fullest expression. And John would say, close, warmer, 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 but you're not hot yet. What's the hot for John? What's the full circuit of God's love? Look again at verse 12. If we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Right? Now, I know you might be going, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Here's the fullest expression. When we surrender ourselves to the will of God, the wishes of God, the wants of God, and when we don't want to love a person, but we've experienced the love of God, and we love that person, God's like, Yes! That's the full expression. It doesn't just stop with us. We're not just kind of cul-de-sacs, but we're conduits. That's the expression that God's looking for. That gets us back to Eden. And that's John's driving force here, right? 
that we must let love flow through our lives. If he's in us, we're letting that love escape through us unto other people. And this is why I, I, I keep pushing that the love of God and the love of fellow Christians and the love of all of our neighbors, and ready? The love of our enemies is more than just obedience or a good idea. No, it is the supreme, the supreme purpose for all that God has done. He's using us to fulfill his ambitions for the world and returning things to the order that he originally designed. And we are a part of that process. We get to be a part of the restoration when we lean into doing these things. And so I want to return kind of to our pictures in light of the greatest commandment, in light of what we've seen so far, and I want to look at two layers. The first layer I want to look at is then our role in love. Like, what are we as individuals supposed to do? And so back to the diagram, the first thing is, well, I'm supposed to love God, right? It's pretty clear. That's the first of the, the great command, and it's important. But then equally, the second part is I need to love others. And both are really, really true. So I have a vertical component, I have a horizontal component. But then the third component that John is trying to get at is I also love God by loving others. And, and I actually think that's a deeper test, right? If I really love him and I only direct it to him, but I refuse to love others, then God's like, you're only half loving me because I've called you to love them. And when you love them, it goes through them and back to me. That shows you're really taking ownership of what I'm doing. Because it's easy to say, I love God. I love God. And God's like, great, let's test that out. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to love unlovely people. I'm asking you to love people who may not like you a whole lot. If you can do that, then you're showing me, man, I am first. I am first. Now, that's why I said this commandment is, is hard, right? It is. But then there's another layer in this, a different layer, and it's God's layer. God's role in love. And what we know is, hey, God loves me. Right? We all know that. We're all pretty confident and comfortable in that. But then what John has been saying is that God also loves others through me. Because if he is in me, which is what John's been saying, then what he's wanting to do in me is love them. He can't wait to love them through me. So the question is, am I going to be a dam to doing that? Or am I going to just let all the floodgates go? Right? That, that's a question that John wants us to wrestle with. But in this, also, we want to realize that God is loved by others as he loves others through me. That also kind of completes the circuit. Now, there's another layer in this that I didn't put in, but it's also the reality that, you know what? You know how God sometimes loves me? Through all of you. Which is why this is important that we all submit to the mutual love. When somebody fails to love another brother and sister, they're robbing that brother and sister of God's love. It's tense, I know. But this is a part of the whole circuit. But here's the thing about my role and God's role. If you leave them independent, love isn't fully expressed. You have to overlap them. You have to overlay them to a single picture, which is why then John says that we love each other. God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Right? The full expression is this whole picture. All right? It's the full package. He and you, he and me. Him, him loving you through me, me loving you through him. It's all there. And I know it's very, very philosophical, but I'm hoping you get by way of the picture what John is trying to drill down for us. We just got to understand that we play a role in how God's love is shown in the world and not like a minor thing. It's the apex idea. 
And so this is why love matters. It's the ultimate act of faith, devotion, and worship. But it also breeds confidence. And that's number two in your notes. The fierce fearlessness of love. Again, adding to our diagram just a little bit. It says God has given us a spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Right? So there's this duality supernaturally that I don't get. He's in us, we're in him. That's just the model that John operates off of. Thus he says, furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son as the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. He says, we know how much God loves us. We have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect or complete. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. So to trust in his love is to do what he tells us to do. The proof that we're doing it in relationship is we're loving him enough to love other people. And the standard that we use is what? We live like Jesus lived. John said this earlier in chapter two, so he just recycles it again. But I think that's really valuable, right? So when we think about how Jesus handled people, that's how we're supposed to handle people. When we look at the Sermon on the Mountain, the Sermon on the Plain, that gives us this model of, oh, this is what it means to love. You like love your enemies, you do good for them, you pray for them. You, you, you care about those who hate you if they curse you. It doesn't matter. You bless them, man. That's just how we roll here. We turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. So much is there. And then the ultimate example is the cross itself. The crowds hate him. The religious leaders hate him. His friends have ditched him. The whole thing's a train wreck. And then he's like doing it in love. And he says, Father, forgive them. Like this is our jam in this world. It's leaning into the hard but beautiful fierce love of god and when we do this it makes us fearless verse 18 such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear if we are afraid it is the fear of punishment that causes our fear right and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love i love the flipping of the script here what i mean by that is think about what keeps us from love so often it's fear right we fear being hurt by somebody. We fear being rejected. Maybe, especially on the enemy front, we fear loving enemies because we're afraid they'll take advantage of us if we, if we love them, right? So if we bless them when they curse us, we go, oh, then they may take advantage and think I'm weak. If they try to do me harm, and so in kind of response, I do them good, they may run a mile with that rope. So, so often, the reason we fail to fear or fail to love is because we fear something. It's self-protective. But, but John's saying, man, if you, if you actually do this thing, it's going to pay a dividend that you don't fully realize yet. In fact, as a personal story, I went through this. I've shared that, you know, I, I didn't have a close relationship with my father for a long time, and we were estranged for over a decade. And I had all this, like, I should reach out, but I don't want to reach out because I'm wounded, and if I reach out and we try to rekindle, I'll probably get hurt again because that's kind of the way the standard works and everything else. And then I get up here like, hey, we should love people. We should learn to honor and forgive and everything else. And so, you know, in the last few years, we've gotten reconnected and rekindled and everything else. And, and, and I had to kind of just say, you know what? It's an understandable fear, but, but I have to push past that fear because there should be a greater fear in my heart. 
And the greater fear in my heart should be if I refuse to love him out of fear of being hurt now, I will stand before God one day and that's where my fear should really be deposited. (laughs) Because one day I'm gonna stand before God and he's going to bring a judgment on my life for what I did in this life. Now I wanna be clear as Christians, this doesn't mean you're gonna be separated from God forever if you didn't love well in this life. You're in Christ, that's not the concern. But the fear should be, I fear disappointing God. I fear feeling like I wasted my life. I fear that I will say to him, looking him in the eye, I just put me before you, man. For my own self-preservation, I put me before you. And that's how I rolled. See, John says, no, when we choose to love in this fearless kind of way, then it removes the fear of one day standing before God and having to give an excuse, an account, a reason. It's like love is the chief thing on the test. Right, when we talk about that, like one day when we die, what are we going to say before God when he says, why should I let you into my heaven? That's kind of a stupid way of doing it, but you get the idea. And we go, because I love like you wanted me to love. And he's like, right on, right? It's like, this is why Christ came and we claim Christ. And we find our life in Christ and Christ died for us. And it's all but Christ, but all but Christ for the purpose of us then going and loving. And so we can say to God, man, I wasn't fearful of this day because I loved like you wanted me to love. Thus, he wraps up this little section of verse 19 by saying, we love each other because he loved us first. Right? It's the way we're to do it. And so to drive home this point, John gives this final quick point, point number three, the blunt reality of how we know we love God. He's blunt in verse 20. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. For they don't, if they don't love people who they can see, how can we then begin to say we love God who we can't see? I'll just be really open with you. I was looking at this this week, and I think this is so good. John is calling out our BS and our excuses right here. Because we love to be like sanctimonious. I love God. I, I come to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I love God. John's like, okay, but do you love people? Because to the degree you love people is kind of the degree that you actually love God. And, and for me, this is where it kind of confronted me because just being really open, there are times in my life where I go, you know what, there's some Christians I think are jerks, man. I think they're punks, and I don't want to love them. I would rather sit on the sideline and judge them. I would li- rather sit on the sideline and just critique them and criticize them. And from that, feel really good that I'm a better Christian than them. And, and John's like, Ah, but if you say you love God, you got to figure out a different way to handle that. Not that you can't have difference, debate, whatever, but you got to do that in love. True love, not just saying it, doing it. Or if I have people in our community that I, I'm not feeling them so much, they're not feeling me, we've rubbed each other a little bit wrong, he's like, you got to figure out a way to love them, man. And certainly enemies where we don't see the world in the same way, we don't see it politically the same way, ideologically the same way, morally the same way, am I still loving them? My, my whole mission in the last few years has been to master loving enemies. That's been kind of honestly my biggest idea of all, just personal, my personal thing that I put on me. And there are people in this community that I know hands down do not care for me. And I've made it my mission to kind of slowly and systematically reach out, build relationships, try to make an enemy a friend. Sometimes it doesn't work. But you know what? There have been a couple that are now really beautiful friendships. And, and, and I think there's something to that because to me, that is the ultimate expression of faithfulness and faith to God. It's the true test and it's the great reminder, right? It's like what he wants me to do is like pull a bank shot of love. 
That's the way I kind of pictured it this week. I'm like, so I need to love an enemy, boom, and it bank shots to showing I love God. I need to love a neighbor, boom, and it's a bank shot to showing I really love God. Because the direct route is easy. The bank shot is tough. But the bank shot shows, man, I'm trying to be faithful. So as I thought about this and we kind of round third and come sliding into home, I think we all have a daily choice to make. What role do I want to play in life is kind of what it comes down to. There's one role, which is letting sin kill love again. Because anytime I choose to sin against a neighbor, sin against a fellow Christian, sin against an enemy, what I'm doing kind of practically is killing love. And so if I'm saying, hey, I love my unseen God, but I don't love my seen neighbor, then I have to be honest with myself and saying, then I'm not truly loving God in the way that I'm supposed to, right? Not enough to, that I will love my neighbor, my fellow Christian, my enemy, whatever it is. And so I'm breaking the circuit just practically. Instead, I want to play a different role, and that is the role of in love conquering sin still. Just as Jesus conquers sin in love, I can still every day choose to conquer everyday sin in love because I do it by loving God, loving others, and loving God by loving others. That's why he wraps up in verse 21. He has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believer. And I always extend it to and our neighbor and our enemy because Jesus says those things too. Now, just as I wrap up here, for me, like I said, this has been the biggest seismic shift in all of my faith in 30 plus years of being a Christian. Right? The hands down biggest thing. Because for a long time, I used to think, you know what? It was love of the truth. That's how I showed I was truly committed to God. A love of the truth. Now, I believe we're supposed to have a love of the truth. But it's a love of the truth that more deeply is then the truth of love outplayed. If I really love him, it's going to be others before me. It's going to be him before me. Because that's love. I do this with my wife. I do this with my kids. All the people that are close to me in my life that I love, them before me. Jesus does the same thing. Me before him. He loved me when I didn't love him. And so in kind of gratitude, repayment, worship, passion, care, I want to do the same thing. And, and, and so I... I, this is the chief thing I aspire to And I pray that it's the chief thing we all aspire to No matter what the cost Because I honestly do think This is what the world is most waiting to see From the Christian community and our culture A radical, reckless, fearless, loving community That wants to just think like Jesus Act like Jesus And be like Jesus So that the world can be like Oh, that's true love That's what it looks like That's what we want to be Right now, I want to just ask you to bow your heads. And as you do, I, I want to give a, a, an encouragement maybe to those who are in the room or watching online today that you, you don't have an, a relationship with Jesus in this way. And I've been pushing this idea that the reason he came is for a relationship with us so that he could do a thing through us for the sake of the world to bring flourishing to where there is decay. And if you go, man, I want to start that relationship with Jesus today, it's a prayer way where you come and you say, I've missed the mark I don't love you like I should. I don't love others like I should. I don't even love myself like you want me to love myself because I don't understand love fully in the way that you're talking about, God. So take my life. I, forgive me for my sins. Make a new life in me so that I might love this world around me for you. You make that your prayer. And man, he steps into your world, you and him, he and you, and he begins to do work in you over the course of your life. It's a journey. 
But if you make that your prayer today, we would love to know. There's a tile in the app. There'll be a number on the screen when you open your eyes in a second. You could text us and say, I decided to follow Jesus today. We would love that. And for the rest of us, I pray that this isn't heavy or hard, this idea of loving the world around us, but pray it's inspiration, it's motivation. It's like, man, I'm going to do this. And so, Jesus, we all come before you and ask, as you have made it possible for us to be rekindled to you, kindle in us great love. And I know we've got some messy stuff. I got people in my life I don't always want to love. I don't feel love toward. Help me to reach that space. And for many of us who have that same thing, help us to reach that space. Help us to have wisdom when it comes to love, but still boundaries. Such a difficult nuance there. But still even in boundaries that are being set, to set them in love, not anger, hate, fed up, retaliation, whatever, but still in love. Help us to change the world by fully bringing the expression of this beautiful thing that you've brought to bear in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, and praise you in your good name. Amen.